This morning we'll be returning to the theme that we introduced two weeks ago, that one word, worship. And so far we've only explored worship at a high level, and then we looked at it specifically in the act of prayer. And I want to continue down that journey this morning, looking at worship now in preaching. Now, oftentimes when we hear the word worship, our mind conjures up the image, namely of the song part of our service. And while for me that's personally the easiest moment to worship because preaching I often get caught up in my head unless I really let myself go and enjoy the power of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in His Word. Um, To be honest, sometimes it is easy for me to lose sight of how preaching is an act of worship. Now, in my mind, that brings up all of the different passages, the exhortations that Paul gave to Timothy and to Titus. And I want to say, preach the Word. In fact, this past year at our um, national gathering of the Baptist Missionary Association where churches of like mind and fellowship come together, that was our theme. Preach the Word. And it was a fantastic theme. And I think in people's mind that makes sense. Most of the people gathered at those meetings are preachers. They need to be told to preach the Word. But what about the church member? If I'm honest with you, my heart is somewhat forlorn that those meetings have become pastor meetings. Back in the day, long before my day, association meetings did not exist for pastors. In fact, it was for churchmen. It was for people who were passionate about serving God and His kingdom, not only in the local church, but in the collective work that the church is accomplishing all over the world. Associations were actually, back in the day before social media and everything else, how people with similar interests would come together to accomplish something greater than they could possibly accomplish on their own. Wait just a second, doesn't that sound like what the church does? When we come together, when we gather to accomplish something that is greater than what we could accomplish on our own. Doesn't the church come together seeking the power, not of man, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God dwelling in the believer, the power of a sovereign Father who orchestrates all things together for His glory? For his purpose. Well, how do we talk about preaching as an act of worship? (coughs) Loved ones, I contend with you this morning. When you gather on the Lord's Day to hear the preaching of the Word, this is an act of worship for you. When you gather on Sunday morning to hear preaching, that is an act of worship. Our text this morning comes from the book of Galatians. I'll invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, where we'll be looking at verses 2 through verse 5. Um, And I'll mention as we get started, I do not think I'll make it past verse 2 this morning. So if you'd like to hear the exposition of verses 3, 4, and 5... I'm going to try to get those in this evening. You'll have to come back. This morning, we'll really be focusing on verse 2, but we'll read the whole thing. With your Bible open in front of you, let us pray that we might have understanding to apply this verse to our life. 
Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gathering of the saints this morning at Denver Street and all over where local churches assemble to glorify you. God, we pray that as we come together this morning to worship, that we would have an understanding of what worship looks like in the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, guidance, and strength. Lord, I pray if our hearts are hard, that they'd become soft. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let's begin reading at verse 1, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. My first point this morning I want you to see is that preaching is interactive. It's interactive. Preaching has to be interactive. Paul, when writing to the church in Galatia, begins in verse Verse 2, let me ask you only this. He's asking them a question. It's interrogative. He's asking them a question which demands that they would begin to respond. Now we oftentimes in preaching services when true worship is taking place, and maybe you'll hear your grandpas do this from time to time, they say amen, or you hear the church curmudgeon leaning over the side rail of the pew, and he goes, uh-huh, or he says, that's true, all these different expressions, that's because there's a constant question taking place whenever the Word of God is being preached. Always, the congregant, those who are sitting in the pew, should be asking this question, let me ask you only this, is that true? The word amen actually means it is true. Jesus, whenever he was teaching, oftentimes he began, Amen, amen, lego, or that verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say. Amen means it's true. So what's happening? As the preacher is preaching God's word and the congregant sitting in the pew as you're listening to this and you're interacting with the word of God that is being proclaimed, you're asking yourself this question, is that true? You say, that is true. You say, uh-huh. You're interacting with the sermon. Now, I don't say that just to get a bunch of amens. I don't think the culture of this church is going to change overnight. This isn't an amening church. Amen. <laughs> I will say this. Whether that utterance comes out of your mouth for the encouragement of people sitting next to you, if you're interacting with the message that is being preached, if you are worshiping, while the Word of God is being preached. In your mind, you're going, that's true. Is that true? Well, is that true? And let me tell you something, loved ones. Every time the Word of God is proclaimed faithfully, it is true. The Word of God's always true. There is no doubt about it. Let me ask you only this. To be engaged in the worship of preaching means that we're constantly asking ourselves, is it true? Is it true about me? 
Is it true that I'm truly that wicked? Is it true about my God? Is it true that He is that great? Is it true about my need? Am I truly that desperate? Is it true? Amen, amen, amen. It is true. The question, as Paul writes, he says, let me ask you only this is singularly focused. It is focused only on one thing. The question that we must ask as we read the Bible, as the Word is preached to us, is singularly focused. You would think that asking the same question week after week would get old, that it would become boring, or that we would become complacent in it, but it does not. There's only one question that we must ask. There's only one question that we must contend with. Consider the context of the letter to Galatians. We can't move too far away from it after all. Paul's writing to these churches that are in the Galatia area, several churches, and he's writing to them individually. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He writes in verse 1 of our chapter. He's concerned for them. These churches that he had a hand in planting, that came to knowing God, that grew as they focused on the spirit that was inside of them, had turned all of that away, that they would become acquiesced, that they would give in to those of the Judaizers, those that would tell them that, well, you may be a Christian, you may be led by the spirit, but if you really want to know God, you've got to get your life together. If you really want to grow close to God, you've got to pick up all these messy pieces and live your life exactly as we live it. Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians? Did you grow in the Spirit at first? This is the question that he's asking. Did you grow in the Spirit because you got your life together? Or did you grow in the power of Christ because He worked in your life when you were messy? This is the question that he's asking. It's too easy to read the numerous accounts in the New Testament and to see all of these different institutions that fell because people became bewitched, bewildered, confused, confounded. The trouble is real. We read of these accounts of churches, real churches, that at one point grew up with power and strength and fell to the wayside because they focused on doing what was right instead of living what was right. The same can be said about churches today, I'm sure. I'm not an apostle, so I just don't have authority over all those other churches. What I can say is we must be cautious as we read these New Testament letters not to so quickly jump the gun on saying, man, they really had issues in the first century. I'm glad we grew up past that. This is part of the human condition. Is that true? It is. We see the Spirit of God working in our lives and it lifts us up. It elevates us. The inside is transformed. Loved ones, so often all we do is move out of step of the Spirit and as we begin to no longer feel, as an illustration, imagine a balloon. The Spirit transforms what's inside. It takes the oxygen, turns it into helium. It lifts itself up, right? Well, what happens when it goes flat? What happens when we move out of step with the Spirit? What happens when we aren't faithful in hearing the Word of God, in reading the Word of God, in praying to the one and only God? With every spiritual high comes a spiritual low. 
But here's the condition of man as I see that balloon beginning to descend, as I see myself beginning to experience disconnect from God, I raise out my hand and I try to lift it up on my own. Well, that doesn't work. It keeps coming down. I bat it up and it goes up for a little bit and then it comes back down. Salvation never had anything to do with works. Salvation only ever had anything to do with the transformation that was taking place on the inside. If you want to experience ongoing growth, ongoing Christian maturity, ongoing strength, your mind must be focused on the same thing which put it in you to begin with. It must be focused on transforming what is inside, the desires, the intentions, the passions of the heart through the Spirit transforming your Life. How does that happen? By living in step with the Spirit. Here's the question we must ask. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Is it true? Amen. We must be cautious of seeking to purify ourselves by our own holiness. We must not seek that we would be purified by avoiding unclean things in a fallen world. Well, here's the real problem with Baptists, namely. We focus on being so holy for God that we separate ourselves to the extent that we forsake those that we should be rescuing from perishing. Those who are trapped in sin, who have not heard the message of God. That's not for the Baptist to go and minister to the dirty places. If Jesus taught us anything about ministry, it is that ministry is messy. If we receive the Spirit, we must not contend that it is our own strength that we maintain purity before God, but it's through His righteousness that we are able to claim justification at all. It is through His protection and providence that we are able to minister to the weak, to the least of the least, to the fallen, to the messy, that we could contend with them. The reason people refuse to go and minister to those who live unclean lives is because we know how weak we are. Because we know that if we go into those places, that we'll get messed up. Because all the while, we've been relying on our own self to save us. And not relying on God to save us. Get this straight in your head. God saved you, He keeps you saved. Get this straight in your head. You won't be afraid about falling. You won't be afraid of backsliding because at every moment, every waking moment, you'll ask yourself this singularly focused question, this only question that I have for you. Did you receive the Spirit? Because if you rely on that, it's going to take care of itself, loved ones. Did you receive the Spirit? Let's make note that in this question, Paul does not say, did you go out and obtain the Spirit? Did you grab it? Did you purchase it? No. He says, did you receive it? It was given to you as a gift. 
Nobody can take off and obtain the Spirit by engaging in a particular style or method of worship. Rather, worship is an expression of the Spirit that dwells with inside the heart of the believer. Nobody can help another person to obtain the Spirit by praying a particular series of prayers over them. The issue of receiving the Spirit is limited to the one who is the Spirit, namely God, giving Himself to another person. The spirit that Paul makes reference to is of the greatest essence of Christianity, living Christians living their life and engaging in worship and prayer and ultimately in the preaching and reading and teaching of the word. John 14, verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world doesn't get it, loved ones. When I say that you have to be dwelling with the Spirit to understand the Word of God, I'm not making this stuff up on my own. The world doesn't get it. If we live in this world, and so long as we live in this world, when we look at this book, it will confound us. Not because it's confounding but because it is of the Spirit. Deo pneumos, it is breathed out by the Spirit. The Bible testifies of itself, 2 Timothy 3.16. The world does not know it, but you know it, for He dwells within you, and He will be in you. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Does it mean that we go out and obtain the second portion? No! That you receive the Spirit. This is the question we ask. Here's how I know that I have the Spirit within me. Because I seek Him. Let me clarify something. I said, I've said this for three weeks in a row and it keeps coming out wrong. When I say that because of the Spirit we're able to understand what is written in God's breathed out Word, I am not saying that if you have the Spirit it's always going to be easy. Here's what I'm saying. If you have the Spirit, when you read things that confuse you, you are not disheartened. Because when you read things that confuse you, you seek the Spirit to give you understanding. Again, this is the problem that we face. Who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians, that you look to yourself to maintain your spirituality instead of God? If the illustration is true about going into the, the, the dark places of this world and ministering to those who are fallen, then can it not also be said of your private rooms, of your private quarters where you read the Word of God? We find things in the Bible that confound us, and we turn to our own strength. Well, let me use all of my intellectual prowess to dive into and dissect the Word of God that I might be able to understand it. People have tried that and they've walked away with no more understanding than a sinner. Here's how you understand the Word of God. I am a worm. Psalm 22, verse 6. God, I cannot understand these things. I do not have wisdom without you. I will not have understanding without you. Did you receive the Spirit? John 14, verse 26. 
This is the promise that Jesus gives those who know him. The reason for his departure, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to you, to your remembrance, all things that I have said to you. He is our helper. So, if these things can be said of reading the Bible, can these things not too be said of hearing the Bible preached? How is preaching an interactive act of worship? You might hear things that confound you. You might hear things that irritate you. I would even say faithful preaching will irritate you. And here's what you do. You get upset, and you run out, and you slam the door behind you. No! You ask yourself the singular question, is that true? Preaching is interactive. There's a reason that we keep coming back to this question. There's a reason we keep coming back to, did you receive the Spirit? There are only three types of people that will come to sit in a worship service. First, there are the seekers, those who do not know God, but will sit through a message, either because they've been drugged in by their mama or because they're genuinely curious. Jude writes in Jude 1.8 of these seekers. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Oh, they're fallen, they're depraved, just like you and I. They're without God. Second, there are the sleepers. Jude 1.16. These are the grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So we've got the seekers. We've got the sleepers, and these ones are the ones that break my heart the most. The sleepers are the ones who once walked closely with God who became complacent in the way that they lived their lives to the extent that no longer did they interact with the worship service, but they began to sleep. Loved ones, read the Bible, and you will find accounts over and over again through the Old Testament. This is the state of humanity. Man, when he has been redeemed, when he has been granted favor with God, when nations had been blessed through him, what was the response of man? I know you're saying it was to be faithful, right? It was to dwell in the rich promises of God and to experience all that He has given Him. If you've read your Bible, you know that's not true. It was to fall away. It was to rely on His own strength. I would say the church is filled with sleepers. I'm thankful that God saves them. But my heart breaks that they will not grow in maturity. Third, I said there are the sleepers, there are the seekers. Let me add that there are the saved. Jude 1, verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, 
In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here's what I love about Jude's encouragement to the saved. He mentions first, there's the seekers, then there's the sleepers, then there's you, the saved. And what does he say to do? To preach the gospel. What message do we give to the seekers? We preach the gospel to them, that they might be redeemed from their darkness, that the veil of darkness might be lifted from them, not from our own rhetoric, but from God's power. How do we preach to the sleepers? We preach the gospel to them to remind them that they, this one singular question, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what do we preach to the saved? The gospel! That is our greatest encouragement. This is the act of mercy that we long for. What do we preach? The gospel. As you're interacting with a sermon, you should be asking this underlying question, is it true? As you're interacting with the sermon, you should be praying, Spirit, guide me in understanding because it is only through your grace that I can engage with spiritual things such as this. As you are interacting with a sermon, you should be ready. Spirit, waken within me if I am a sleeper. Spirit, encourage me if I am saved and make revival happen in my brothers and sisters sitting next to me. This is my first point this morning. Preaching is interactive. My second point annoys me. Preaching is intellectual. All oh, this annoys me. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? I don't need all that intellectual. I want you to pay attention to the way that Paul's contending with the Galatians here in our passage. He does not say, Galatians, you're wrong. Do what I say. He doesn't speak on his own authority. Here's what he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? This is a logical question. It's intellectual. Here's your two options. It's multiple choice. Preaching is intellectual. It weighs before us two options. It connects dots of spiritual things. And here is the greatest problem that we have, church. As we speak of spiritual things, I cannot think of another word. The word ineffable comes to mind. We can't describe it. There aren't words to go along with it. There isn't a way to really put it down with language. Spiritual things are like this. Language is going to fall short. It's not something we understand with our intellectual mind. It's something that we understand with our heart. This is why Jesus taught there is coming an hour when you will worship in spirit and in truth. Speaking later to, or before that, to Nicodemus, 
What did Jesus say? I speak of you that you must be born of the Spirit, and this doesn't make sense to you. Well, if you don't understand this, if, if you can't understand heavenly things that I've expressed to you in earthly terms, how can I possibly talk about heavenly things? It is un able to be described in words perfectly. It requires that we grapple with these things. And what do you think is even more important? To understand them, that we would seek the Spirit in understanding them. Preaching is intellectual. We fail to worship in preaching when we turn off our minds. When we disengage from what would force us to grow, when we shut it down, we fail to worship. We must participate by engaging our minds. We can bring a notebook. And here's something that you can do. Real practical stuff. Bring a notebook with you as you hear a sermon. No matter where it's at. This church, another church. As you go to a conference or a revival. When you hear somebody preaching the word of God. If there's something that confounds you. If there's something that makes you raise a question. Write it down. You want to talk about good Bible study. Go home. Open that notebook up. Ask that question. Turn back in your Bible. Look for the answer. It's in here. And ask yourself, is it true? Look at how Paul masterfully engages the intellect to weigh these two options that he's presented together. The entire portion here in Galatians actually is asking this intellectual question. Were you saved by the works of the law? Or were you saved... By the Spirit. By hearing with faith. Here's what he says. There is on the one hand the law. And he goes on in Galatians 3 verse 10 through 14 to mention the curse. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You want the works of the law? Keep it. They come with the curse. Were you saved by the works of the law? Galatians 3, 19 through verse 22 brings up the issue of transgressions. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness should indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You want the law, keep it. It comes with the curse. It comes with transgressions. Finally, it comes with bondage. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might revive adoption as might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent us the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir through God. There is, on the other hand, the result of You want the law? Keep it. On the other hand, here's the promise before us that we would have hearing by faith. Galatians 3, verse 6 through 9, draw this comparison to Abraham, that through him we are adopted as sons. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it was those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's the covenant. Galatians 3, verse 15 through 18. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Here is the great promise of the gospel that Paul is reminding the churches of Galatia of. You're grafted in. You're part of the family. Not because you deserve it, but because of your ability to hear by Faith, you're made heirs, Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Now, before faith came, we're held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It is not something that we have to grapple with. Paul makes an intellectual argument. Preaching is intellectual. It should stimulate our minds. It's not just through one text that we should look at these things, but we can measure it through all of Scripture. As we interact with the preaching of God's Word, we must measure it by all that we know of Scripture. That which comes from what we have studied, that which comes from what we have heard, that which comes from what we have been burdened in our heart through the guidance of the Spirit. My last point this morning. Preaching is interactive. It's intellectual. 
and it's intimate. Preaching is intimate. Uh Uh-oh, that's a weird word. What could I possibly mean? Well, if logic and reason point me away from confessing that it was by the works of the law that I received the Spirit, and I'm still asking myself this question, I must defer to the option that Paul gives us, which is that I received the Spirit by hearing with faith. Hearing with faith. What does it mean to hear something with faith? That's a confusing phrase. First of all, I don't know what it means. Second of all, the grammar's messed up. Does this mean that faithful hearing? Maybe, probably not. I would have to turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 17 to get real understanding, where Paul also writes to the Romans, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. So here I have this interaction. Hearing with faith obviously requires faith, right? Where does faith come from? According to Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing. So I have to hear to get faith so that I can hear with faith, and that's how I get the Holy Spirit. As I look at this interaction, here's what comes to my mind. I've got to drop the guardrails. And this is why I say preaching is intimate. So often, we come to hear something or we come to listen and we put up all of the defenses that we've developed throughout time to protect us. All of the facades. We can say, I don't come to God with a facade, but I think we do come to church with a facade. Hey, this is hard. How can I be my real authentic self before these people that consider me righteous? What if they knew my secrets? I have a hard time confessing my sins to God in quiet, in my head as I pray to Him. How am I going to confess my sins, as Scripture says, to one another that my heart might be relieved of their burden? How am I going to do all of this if I keep up my guardrails? Well, look at this. Preaching is intimate. In our world today, we have been blessed with social media and the internet age and everything that comes from that. Do you know how many sermons I get to listen to throughout a week? A bunch. And I love it. Great preachers, fantastic preachers. I even listen to a few celebrity preachers. You want to know a secret? The greatest preacher you think that's out there, you can go listen to all of their sermons and guess what you'll find out? Just like the most faithful pastor in the smallest church in the most remote area of the country, they've got flops. They all do. Here's what I love about this internet age. All these great preachers, all these people that people want to go and listen to. You know what the problem is with celebrity preachers? You don't know their heart. When they preach the Word of God and it irritates you, you can't go to them in a compassionate and loving way and get understanding and get restoration. Instead, here's what happens. Someone carelessly says something about unhitching themselves from the Old Testament. I'd like to go punch that guy in the mouth. Amen. But before I do that, I'd probably ask them, what were you thinking? And... 
if you know what particular example I'm thinking of, you probably know that that particular fellow deserves to get punched in the mouth because he has not repented of such a ridiculous phrase. My point is this. Preaching's intimate because you get to know the person who's preaching to you. The person preaching to you gets to know you. He gets to see all these different facades and he gets to understand the parts of your personality, why you react in ways that you do, maybe because of insecurity, but he's able to see this because preaching is intimate. Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia, says, hearing with faith. Now this is going to be troubling for some of you to hear. There's not one preacher that's perfect. They all make mistakes because they're fallen just like you. Do you know why Baptists hold to the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer? Why we believe that everyone's able to have a direct worship with God and at the same time we still have this clergy class of preachers? It's pretty simple. It's a calling. It doesn't make people perfect. Perhaps you have that calling. Perhaps you need to teach point is this, it won't make you perfect. How do we hear with faith? How is preaching intimate? It's like this. If it's intellectual, if it's interactive, that clearly connects the dots in my mind that if I'm going to worship through preaching, I must think critically about everything coming out of the preacher's mouth. I have to ask, is it true? That's thinking critically. Now hear me. There is a difference between thinking critically and listening to be critical. The church is more capable of killing a pastor and discouraging his ministry than they are of blessing their community. All they have to do is put these in the reverse order. All they have to do is think that they are listening critical when really what they're doing is listening to be critical. If you want to listen to be critical, you will find something wrong. It's not hard. Here's how we're supposed to engage. Here's how we receive the Spirit to begin with. By hearing with faith. Here's the secret to really worshiping through the preaching of God's Word. And and I'll present it from my perspective. As a preacher, here's something that we do whenever we hear somebody preach. I could have said that better. I would have landed that point more impactfully. I could have done way better. That's not listening with faith. Sit back and enjoy it. The Word of God's being proclaimed. Somebody's praying as they're speaking. They're reading from a holy book. They're speaking God's wonderful Word. You're engaging with it. Let yourself engage with it. Take the guardrail down. Soften your heart. Listen with faith. I'm not saying be mindless, be intellectual, engage with it. I'm not saying don't interact with it. I'm saying do interact with it. Give the man of God faith that he's not here to lead you astray. Preaching is intimate. Oh, it takes great risk. It takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes more than we're comfortable with at times. It requires us to let ourselves go and be transparent before loved ones, brothers and sisters before God. 
I mentioned that in the Sunday morning worship service, you might have seekers. In the Sunday morning worship service, it's not designed for them. Church, it's your job to minister to the seekers, to let them ask you questions. Church, it's your job to meet their needs. Do you know who the worship service is for? It's for the saved ones. They're not going to understand this type of transparency. They're not going to get it because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're not seeking the Spirit of God. That's your job. We have to balance asking ourselves, is that true with, is the man of God before me, while not perfect, is he earnest? Does he seek to preach without error? Is he cautious? Because here's, if we have one more point, here's a bonus point. Preaching is interactive, it's intellectual, it's intimate. It requires preparation. What makes you think that you're going to worship authentically if you don't match the level of preparation that I'm putting into the Sunday morning sermon? I'm preparing with caution. I'm looking at God's Word. I'm contending with its meaning. I'm considering illustrations that make it make sense. You've got to be seeking the Spirit all week long so that you can come and appreciate this. Not appreciate me, but appreciate God. It requires preparation. There is a difference between listening critically to a message and listening to be critical. Church, if you want to worship in the preaching of God's Word, we must put all of these things in order. We must interact by asking, is that true? By seeking the Spirit's counsel. We must intellectually be considering the argument and the structure and engaging with the larger biblical testimony, not just the passage being preached, but what all of the Bible says. We must be intimate by setting down our guardrails, our defenses, and our concerns to allow the message to penetrate our heart. Father in heaven, we thank you and we love you for your word and through the faithfulness of God, the many Bible teachers that we stand on throughout history, the apostles who laid the foundation of the church, the pastors who ministered to the church, the reformers, the Baptist, God, to the, the backwoods men of God who would stand on your word and proclaim it earnestly. God, I pray that you guide us from today onward into worshiping through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.